Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from The Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from this Sunday's sermon. We're currently in our Advent sermon series discussing the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's word and how much he loves you. Let's jump in. We've made it to the fourth Sunday of Advent, which is bizarre because we're celebrating it after Christmas, on New Year's Eve, no less, but, but that's okay. We're making do here this morning, the, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it's centered around the theme of love. And so we have all of the candles lit, almost because, of course, Christmas has come and went, and yet still we, we left the love candle unlit until I lit it a few moments ago because, well, Advent is weird this year and we're just kind of making it up as we go a bit. So, love. The world revolves around this concept of love, doesn't it? We are love-obsessed people. The holiday season and the media that we consume therein largely centers around love. Think about it for a minute. The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. What's that movie about? Santa, yes, okay, obviously. But more than that, the love of a father for his son. A father dealing with the reality of his divorce and being one of two co-parents that do still truthfully love each other even though the romantic relationship has sort of run its course. Or Home Alone. I don't know if I've mentioned that movie this holiday season. The love of a family that doesn't always like each other But when it comes down to it, they love each other deeply, even Uncle Frank. How about Christmas music? Last Christmas, unrequited love. Baby, please come home. It's about love lost. Santa, tell me, wanting the real thing in terms of romantic love. Underneath the tree, love that has actually worked out and it is good. All I want for Christmas is you. Obvious, right? And there are a million Hallmark movies that have the same exact plot of a young woman deep in a relationship with a successful businessman in New York City, perhaps even engaged to him. But she comes home for the holiday to her rural small town and she falls in love with a Christmas tree farmer and his delightful dog and beat up pickup truck. She calls off the engagement and and the huge wedding And she lives a charmed life in this small town with the Christmas tree farm owner, happily ever after. Some of you watched that movie 10 different times this year, just with different actors, and you loved it every time. We love love. We love love. We love it so much that there's this scandalous issue that no one's talking about, but I'm going to talk about it today. I'm going to expose it. And those of you that are here this morning are going to be the first to kind of hear about this. And you can take it to your New Year's Eve party and bring it up. It's the issue of Valentine's Day creep. Many people complain about Christmas creep every year, which I very much enjoy. Thank you very much. When Christmas decorations appear in early October, But they never say a word, those hypocrites. They never say a word about hearts showing up in stores in mid-December, which is the real scandal. We, or at least corporations, can't wait to celebrate love. Cha-ching. We will spend plenty of dollars to tell our special someone how much they're worth to us. I mean, how much we love them. But here's the truth. We don't have a passive 
interest in love. We don't have an intellectual interest in love. It's not merely something like out there that we've decided is fascinating to us. We don't find love compelling in the way that someone who never plans to become an astronaut finds space to be interesting. Reading books and looking at pictures with no intent of ever actually getting on a rocket. No, we have an experiential interest in love. We don't find it fascinating. We find it desirable. We don't want to learn about it. We want to have it. We want to feel it. We want to receive it. And the quality of our Christmas experience and quite realistically our lives are often measured by how much love is in them. This isn't necessarily wrong even. Think about your Christmas this year. How was it? If I ask you that, you might quickly inventory the day in your memory. You might say, I was with my kids or my spouse or my parents or my in-laws or my siblings, and we had good food and we sat for a long time and just talked. But if you're, but if you're honest, the quality of that experience is going to deeply depend on if you felt loved by the people you were around. Yes, maybe how good was the pie or how spot on were the gifts. Those were important factors too. But more or less, the lasting impression of this Christmas would be, did you feel loved? Did you feel loved? Maybe, did your kids have a good Christmas? If you're a parent, you might say, it was a good Christmas. My kids had a good Christmas. But there's a chance that part of the answer is, how loved did I feel by my kids as they received their gifts, if you're honest. Love is such an influential and powerful force, and we will stop at nothing to find us. For some of us, it absolutely is killing us. Maybe it's apparent for many of you, oftentimes a father. We must have their approval because their approval to us is the same as their love. And if they love us, then we're safe and we are happy. But they seem in some instances to never approve us. And so we work and work and work, whether it's academically or whether it's in athletics, to just make them proud. We work for an audience of one, but it's the wrong one. And maybe we secure the approval of our parent or parents, but it might be conditional based, based upon our performance being consistent. And if that's the case, then it's never safe. We have to keep performing. Or it's the same with a romantic relationship. We just need the other person to like us. We just need them to want us in the way that we want them, and it causes this sort of anxiety. In 2016, a much less mature me, I know you're thinking, how is that possible? A much less mature me dated a woman named Sarah Abdul. Sarah Abdul was, and spoiler alert, still is the woman of my dreams. She was beautiful, and she was funny, and she was smart, and she was sassy. She is still all of those things. And she shockingly seemed to like me, too. And what happened in my brain was not just the elation that this beautiful woman had a lapse in judgment and was interested in me. That was there. But it wasn't just that. There was the anxiety of losing a good thing. Love can cause anxiety. Through our year-long courtship, I was quite ready to marry Sarah. She was not so ready to marry me, and she broke up with me multiple times. And the second time, I only agreed to get back together with her if she was ready for more of a commitment because I knew once there was commitment, there was safety. I could exhale. I could relax. But when things were up in the air in that relationship, when things were subject to change, there was anxiety 
Now, you can imagine I'm going to tell you that none of these earthly loves are sufficient to make you whole, to bring peace into your life. And that's exactly right. The love of my wife cannot fulfill me completely. And in fact, it's not even secure in this moment. She could leave me. She isn't prone to do that. She thinks I'm amazing, but she could. I mean, she could suffer a head injury and her personality could change. She could become erratic and unpredictable and she could leave me. It's not the most likely scenario, but my point is even in the confines of Christian marriage, her choosing to stay with me is a 99.99999% sure, not 100% sure. And even if the most likely events do occur and she doesn't have a tamping rod go through the part of her brain that changes her personality like the infamous Phineas Gage, anybody know what I'm talking about? You learned about that in school? Yeah. Even if that situation does not occur and she does not become an entirely different person who finds me quite repulsive, something else could happen to her and she could be with me no longer. In this life, you get the girl, you lose the girl. You get your parents' approval and then you lose it again. Your kids light up on Christmas morning at the, and yet those toys are boring by New Year's Day. Love can be a roller coaster, and if you're on the ride, then the highs and the lows can be quite real. They can be quite discombobulating, and they can have quite an effect on your mental health and your sense of self-worth even. But the Bible begins to speak of a different love. And if you read the Bible as a whole, you will realize the Bible makes much of this love. It seems to be the love that we are supposed to orient our entire lives around, in fact. And you see, I think, I think we have one or two outlooks on love. We either think that we deserve love and thus are entitled to it, sort of a positive outlook on ourselves, even if it's not always a realistic one, right? There are people who clearly do not deserve for you to love them because they've done X, Y, and Z to you. If someone abuses you, do they deserve your love? No. Yet, they might not be so honest with themselves, and so they think they do. We can have an unrealistic view of ourselves, or perhaps we have an a, a negative view of ourselves, and so we, don't, we think we don't deserve any love. Maybe not based on any of our moral choices but, or, or how we've treated someone, but based on other qualifications that we've deemed important. Oh, of course she wouldn't love me. I'm not handsome enough. Of course he wouldn't love me. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rugged enough. I'm not cultured enough. I, I don't have enough money. I can't provide as well. Of, of course that person wouldn't love me. It can be tenuous, but there is a love the Bible describes differently than the earthly loves that we so desperately are in search of. Psalm 143.8, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Exodus 15.13, in your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. Psalm 6.4, turn Lord and deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love. Psalm 13, 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Psalm 18, 50, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed. Psalm 21, 7, for the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Psalm 26, 3, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance upon your faithfulness. Psalm 31, 6, let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. 
Psalm 32.10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Isaiah 54.10, though the mountains will be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Lamentations 3.32, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Don't you see it? God's love doesn't fail. It doesn't sputter out. It doesn't, in the murkiest conditions of our sin and stubbornness, go away. It is unfailing. It is unlike any human love, in fact. The Bible points this out. Proverbs 26. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. The Bible is not naive about the human heart. Many people will tell you their love is forever, but that is a rare thing. You all, each one of you sitting here, probably know someone who is over-promised and under-delivered on love. You've possibly, if not probably, done it yourself. Young love, I see it all the time on Instagram. I saw a friend the other day who's maybe 19 years tops, and she posted a photo with the caption, Happy one year, I love you forever. As I read it, I thought, maybe, maybe. Surely it feels that way to her, I'm sure. And, and sometimes high school sweethearts do go the distance, but more likely than not, the word forever will likely not prove to be true. If it were a bettable outcome, I would take the under if forever was the line, okay? Many claim to have unfailing love, love that won't wear out, that won't fade, that won't end, but a faithful person who can find one. One of my favorite bands had this line in a song that's about God. They said, no one here to believe but you. Everyone else is bound to leave but you. When they swear their love is real, they mean, I like the way you make me feel. There's no one here to believe but you. You see, we mistake love for other things. We mistake it for feelings or attraction. But God's love is something different than that because it doesn't fail. It doesn't depend on us. Our love is so often dependent upon the performance of the other person. I love my wife and I am committed to forever with her and vice versa. But if she unrepentantly leaves me, if she takes up a new love interest and moves across the country and lives with that person for the rest of her life, our love is going to take a hit for sure. To some extent, our love is based on the performance of others, at least in extreme circumstances. Parental love reflects God's love, but it's still not perfect because we're not perfect and we cannot love even our children perfectly. Our kids, we feel, can do pretty much nothing to remove themselves from the reach of our love, right? But, but even the love of a human parent, it, it fails to meet the standards of God's love. God's love is different in that it is not dependent upon our performance. In fact, our lives can be likened to that of an unfaithful spouse. We step out on God for other loves. We find idols and we keep company with them, sometimes for moments, and sometimes we move them in and we start a life with them before coming to our senses. But God's love for us is unfailing, and so even in those moments, even when we do that, God's love, it doesn't change I believe I alluded to this earlier. We, we either believe we deserve love and are entitled to it, or we believe that we, we don't deserve love and that we need to earn it. And these are kind of the two ways we operate. You ought to love me, and you don't. What's your problem? Or you shouldn't love me, so I'm going to become someone that you should love. 
I'm going to lose the weight, get the surgery, get the grades, make the team, get into the college, be nicer, less angry, more happy, funnier, whatever, so that I can deserve your love. We can come to believe that love is about merit. We ourselves sometimes love people based on merit. And so it's no wonder then that we approach God with a merit-based understanding of love and that he has to point us back to the gospel because we aren't understanding love the way he loves us. The gospel is that we've done nothing to merit his love. In fact, we have merited his wrath. That's what our work, that's what our life, that's what our performance deserves. And yet Christmas tells us that when we have done things that should, should push God away, that God doesn't move away from us, not at all. God comes closer to us. Romans 5, 6 through 11 tells us this, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Our actions should have pushed God away, but instead God became flesh and blood and made our world his home. Unfailing love. The natural mind is hostile towards God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But before you have the Holy Spirit, before you're a follower of Jesus, you are naturally hostile towards God. Yet before you changed from that state, from that hostility towards him, God sprang into action and he sent his son. Jesus became incarnate. He was made man. God didn't run away from your messiness. He ran towards it. And even if you run, he will not. God comes near. That's the whole point. It's the whole point of Christmas. God comes near. Coming near to someone who isn't always good to you comes at a cost, doesn't it? And by that, I mean just loving any other human being, really. We all make mistakes. We all hurt one another. Love just naturally involves taking on risk. And God took on risk. In fact, Jesus didn't just get hurt, though he did. We were reminded in communion that Jesus was betrayed, that hurt. Jesus experienced relational hurt, the wounds of a friend betraying him. But more than that, he was killed. That's what he got out of this relationship, right? He got killed. And he knew he would. He knew it was going to hurt. And yet you were worth it to him. Even while you were still in your mess, you were worth it to him. So worth it that he came the first time, the the first time, and, and he'll come back for his church. Through it all, he still wants you. His love is unfailing. Think of the sinning that you've done this week. Just think of the sins you've committed this week or... Maybe it's been a light week for sinning. It's Christmas, you know. Think think of the sins you've committed this year. Think of the sins you've committed over the course of your life. Hold the worst things you've done this year in your mind for a moment. Those things did not scare the God of the universe away. 
They didn't push him away. He knew every one of them before you were born, and he still came near. That is how much you are loved this morning. And I hope you'll respond to that love this morning and over and over, day after day, as you go through this life. But we sit here today on New Year's Eve, and and New Year's Eve is a time where we reflect on the past year and we we look ahead to the next year. And, And the thing that people do on New Year's Eve traditionally is they make resolutions. They effectively say, next year is going to be different. Next year, I'm going to get my stuff together. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to read some books. This upcoming year, I'm going to make a career move to put me in a better financial spot. I'm really going to work on finding someone because I'm tired of being alone. I'm going to lead my family better. Hey, I'm I'm going to get my spiritual life in order. I'm going to read this Bible, man. I'm going to pray consistently constantly and consistently. I might even go to that prayer meeting that that Randy's always talking about. Randy's not always talking about it. He's just the face of it. But we say stuff like that sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes on a good year, we even do it, right? Some people, though, are like, I'm not making a resolution because I never follow through. And that's okay, too. But here's what I want to remind you going into a new year. Here's what I want the last word to be for you in 2023. We often make resolutions to be better in the next year. And that's great. Be better. But please hear this. Don't be better to be loved. Don't believe that you have to be better before you can be loved. Don't believe that if you really get it together, God is going to love you more. Being better doesn't make you more loved. God is, is completely maxed out on love for you right now. His love for you is infinite. It is unfailing. It does not get more intense than that. So if you want to resolve to love God better with your heart and soul and mind and strength, with your finances and sexuality and your career and your home, then please do that. That's beautiful. I love that. But don't do it to earn anything. You cannot earn God's love because you already have it. You have all of it at your worst. You have all of it at your best. You are loved. You are loved perfectly by a God who came near in the incarnation. And in the next year, it is my prayer that you'll draw near to him as well. Amen. Michelle, you can come up. This morning, as as we prepare for communion, please just remember how loved you are. It's a simple message, but, but some of you sitting here this morning have hearts that have walls around them. You are, you are guarded against promises of love. Perhaps people have promised to love you before and, and they haven't honored their word and now you will trust no one, maybe not even God. But you can trust this God. You, you can trust that he will love you. You can trust that he does love you. His love, as you've seen throughout the scriptures this morning, it's unfailing. His love, it doesn't fail when you fail. It doesn't fail when you ignore him. It doesn't fail when you chase after lesser gods. It doesn't fail when you fail to open your Bible or talk to him. This love doesn't fail when people fail you. God's love doesn't fail. And if you want to know how I know, it's because that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and after he gave thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. I know that God's love is unfailing because if it ever was going to fail, it was going to fail when Jesus was about to be arrested. 
that's when it would have failed. If, if God was ever going to fail to, if ever, if ever God was going to fail in his love for you, if ever God was going to show his hand that you weren't actually worth it, it would be when Jesus faced the agony of the cross. And yet he faced it. Jesus gave his life for the forgiveness of sins. He gave his life for the church. He died so that through him, many would find life. And we take communion every single week to remember that fact, to remember the good news of this gospel, to hopefully drive the point home in our hearts that Jesus loves you and that he's never going to stop. So I just ask you to join me in believing that this morning, that you would just sit here this morning on on the precipice of a new year and remember that you are loved. In spite of any bad that you did this year, or any good that you left undone this year, in spite of how good or bad of a year you had, in spite of your doubts and flaws and whatever other things you give as reasons to object to the fact that God would love you, in spite of all of those things, you are loved. You are loved as you are. You are loved with an unfailing love. So sit with that for a bit this morning. Ask God to confirm it in your heart by his spirit. And then when you're ready, you can stand and and take communion. We take communion here every week at the table by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you would like prayer, my friend Randy will be available over on this side of the room, my left, your right, along the wall. He'd love to lay a hand on your shoulder and just come alongside you in prayer. Communion is available towards the back on my left and gluten-free is available towards the back on my right. Uh, We take communion here just kind of as you're ready. So I just ask you to sit and, and spend some time with the Lord. And then when you're ready to stand and take communion, let's pray. Father, I thank you that your love is unfailing. Something that, that we can hardly comprehend. That we can hardly fathom, that we can hardly believe would be true about us. The things we know about ourselves, the dark parts of our own hearts that that no one sees but us and you. We think with you having knowledge of all of that, how could you love us? God, I pray for the the stony places in our hearts this morning that are hardened towards your love, that refuse to believe that that they're loved, God, that you would soften them, that you would convince us of your love, that we would go into 2024 knowing how loved we are and living in light of that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.